Amen. All right, so we are in the letter to the church at Rome, and this evening's message is a rough one. As Eddie, you know, had a rough text last week, this is a rough text too. And I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to make a very quick application to Mother's Day, and then we'll jump into the text verse by verse by verse. All right, let's read it together. Not your traditional Mother's Day text. Romans 1, 28 to 32, we're going to finish out chapter 1. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. All right, you ready for some Mother's Day application? Moms, spiritual moms, we want to raise children who do not look like this. <laughs> Please. <laughs> we want to raise children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, and we don't want any of this terrible list to characterize them. Though I'm sure some of these characteristics will show up that we need to disciple out of them. If you will, we need to disciple the hell out of them, okay? So that they do not have any hell in them, but rather the Spirit coming out of them, and they display the fruit of the Spirit. All right, this list is not uncommon in the first century. In fact, uh, in Greek philosophy and the philosophers, they would make lists like this all the time, virtue lists and vice lists. It was not uh, characteristic of Paul only to do these kinds of lists. And Paul did these lists a lot. In contrast to the fruit of the Spirit, we have a long list of the characteristics of the flesh. There's another place you can look and just see sin after sin after sin after sin after sin. He does this in Corinthians. He does this in many of his letters that he writes. He creates a vice list. Uh, And in Corinthians, it's so interesting, after one of the lists, he says to the Corinthians, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were cleansed, you were saved, if you will, from this vice list. And that's my prayer for every one of us, is that we would be saved from this kind of sinless that would characterize us. Rather, we want to be characterized by God's Spirit Himself. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, against those nine fruit, there is no law. You don't need a law to tell you do this or don't do this when you're characterized by those nine fruit. And so we're going to look at the end of Romans 1 here. And remember, This is flowing out of what happens when men and women refuse to worship the true and living God. This is the result. This is the fruit of not worshiping Yahweh, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When we do not worship God, 
the only God, the creator and sustainer of all things, we then will worship lesser created things. We must. Here's why. Because you were made to worship. You cannot not worship. You must and you will. The question isn't, will you worship? The question is, what will you worship? You will either worship and serve the Creator, capital C, or you will worship and serve creation, small c. And just think about that. How much lesser is creation than the Creator? And yet, we, even Christians, devolve into worshiping created things. However, we are saved and we are growing and God is smashing the idols of our heart on a weekly basis, I pray, that we may not worship creation, but rather the creator. And so this verse 28 here, I lost my little microphone fuzz. I have no idea where it is, so it's going to hiss and pop at you. I, I apologize. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God. Okay, this is, if you will, the refusing to worship God. And rather, making images to look like man and beasts and birds and creeping things. Worshiping and serving non-God. And not acknowledging, capital G, God. Since that was the case. Since these people and we, before Christ, worshipped creation, created things. God as a punishment, this is called his passive wrath, as Eddie explained last week. He gives people over to their desires. Look what it says. God gave them up. He gave them over to what? To a debased mind. That word debased there in the Greek means unqualified, worthless, depraved, foolish thinking, reprobate, corrupt, useless, degraded, disapproved. He gave them up to that kind of mind or mindset, way of thinking, way of processing, way of being in the world. Because I think you know this, the way you think absolutely is in direct correlation to the way you live. Thinking results in actions. In fact, you you could say it like this. The life of your mind manifests in your daily life. The life of your mind will manifest, appear, come to reality. The life of your mind will manifest in your daily life. Thinking produces actions. Thoughts turn into fruit. Always. And so to have a debased mind produces this list starting in 29. When your mind is debased, the fruit of your life is this vice list. But we, Christian, remember Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind that you may test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. You see, we, Christian, are having our debased mind renewed, refreshed, reformed by God's Word. This is what God does. We are renewed in knowledge, and that knowledge should produce affection, and the knowledge with, with affection turns into different actions. 
So a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Now look, the mind creates something. Look, to do action, what? What ought not be done. What ought not be done according to God's standard. Okay, we as human beings have standards of righteousness. And you can have a standard of righteousness that's not God's standard. In fact, some people, many actually in our culture, have this kind of creed, if you will, as their main creed. You must affirm people's morality code as long as they're not hurting anyone else. And if you won't affirm them, and even worse, if you say they're wrong, then you have committed the unforgivable sin. Now, friends, God's word would directly contradict that at almost every verse, (laughs) at least every book. God is the one who tells us we're messed up and our way of thinking is wrong and it needs to change. Our actions are wrong and they need to change. In other words, we need to repent. And as it's been said, even our repentance needs repenting of. Okay, so God's not afraid to tell us as his creatures, you got it wrong and you need to change. And he doesn't just leave us there, if you will, barking commands from the heavenly realms. Rather, he says, I'm going to help you with that. I'm not going to leave you to yourself and your own strength. I'm going to help you with my very spirit. And according to Acts chapter 1, the spirit is the power that we need. Wait until you receive the spirit and you will receive power. And then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. All right, so closing verse 28 here, this is what I want you to see. Because the worship of created things is happening, you're not acknowledging the true God. God gives people over to that. What does that look like? A debased mind. What does a debased mind produce? Doing what ought not be done. And now he's going to open up what ought not be done. He's like, all right, let's pinch on that and let's open that up. And here's what comes out. Verse 29, filled with all manner of. And then he goes in. Now, I want to read before we jump into the list here. I want to read uh, uh, just a little sentence here from Doug Moo, who is a Roman scholar. He says, this tragic incapacity is the explanation for the apparently inexplicable failure of people to comprehend, let alone practice, biblical ethical principles. Only the work of the Spirit, capital S, in renewing the mind can overcome this deep-seated blindness and perversity. Now, the idea here is we need to have God's Spirit move on us in order for us to even see that we're wrong in worshiping creation, that we might be able to and empowered to worship the true and living God. Didn't Jesus say in John 4, 24, God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And yes, that means with our spirit, but more importantly, it means by the power of the Holy Spirit. So in in order for us to even worship the true and living God, we need the Spirit of God. I want you to notice one thing before we jump into this list. This list are all sins against fellow human beings. In other words, these are social sins. These are sins that manifest in society. These are sins that manifest in cities. These are sins that manifest in homes workplaces, 
their sins against fellow image bearers. And God is not pleased when we sin against each other. All right, let's open that up. First, let's look at this first two. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness and evil. Unrighteousness and evil. Now, these are umbrella terms for anything against God's revealed will. Unrighteousness and evil. Anything against God's revealed will. And remember, his revealed will displays his character. Where do we find God's revealed will? Somebody. Somebody. The Bible. The, the do and do nots of the Bible. That's his revealed will. And it comes out of not arbitrariness where God's like, yeah, I don't think you should murder. That's probably not good. But I don't think you should lie. That's probably not good. I don't think you should covet. That's probably not. No, God is the standard by which don't lie comes from because God is truth, period. And so to lie is to not reflect him, to not bear the image. Rather, it's to bear the image of the liar, capital L. Remember what Jesus said in John 8 about Satan. He's a liar and the father of lies. When he lies, he speaks his native language. So it's not just that God decided, all right, let's see, truth, lie, what's better? No, he is truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth. And so to be truthful is to reflect God because he is in essence, among other things, truth. You see, when we don't reflect the character of God, we reflect the character of Satan in whose image we bear until we are born again. And so, evil, unrighteousness, this is, if you will, the world. And it was us before Christ. Umbrella terms for anything against God's character. Next, covetousness. This one you should know well because covetousness shows up in the Ten Commandments. In fact, it's the last one. Do not covet your neighbor's house. Do not covet your, covet your neighbor's wife. Okay, if you're uh, a wife, husband. His male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Now, this won't be the first time I've said this, but I still believe it. Social media is just a covet fest, right? It, we, we, we go on Instagram and we're like, must be nice to eat there and must be nice to be able to go on vacation there and I wish I could take time off work and go and do that and it's covet, covet, covet. Breaking commandment number 10. Breaking commandment number 10. Breaking, but see, we don't think it like that. We, in fact, we, we like it when other people are a bit jealous. We like to shine and floss because we like it when people hate a little bit. Haters going to hate. And it must, it must mean I got something good going on if they're hating on me. Let me shine. Why are you stealing my shine, baby? Right? So the idea here is coveting is against God, but in our culture, we kind of like it. It's normal air to breathe. It's like oxygen to human beings, isn't it? And so when the law comes along and says, you shall not covet, what? Anything that belongs to anyone else. Wait, you're kidding me, right? No. Why? Because, friends, now let's take it up a level higher. And I can't do this with everyone on the list or we'll be here till 10 o'clock. But this one's important. God is the giver of all good things. 
And if he has given you anything good, you should be thankful. And when you covet, you know what you're, you're doing? You're being the opposite of thankful. You're in a sense saying, God, how dare you not give me what you've given them? That's what you're doing. Now, I know you're not consciously doing that. You're just saying, man, it'd be, it'd be great to have what my neighbor has. But at the same time, you're dissatisfied with what God has given you, and you're not giving thanks. You're not being thankful, which is the essence, if you remember from last week, what God is angry at. They refuse to give thanks. Friends, it is so healthy for you to reflect on the goodness that God has already given you. And it is so unhealthy for your soul to be poisoned by covetousness. To always be looking around at what's going on with everyone else and how much everyone else has and how little you have. And what you're doing is you're playing into a trap and a trick of the enemy to keep you dissatisfied. And dissatisfaction will result in thanklessness. But friends, if you could be happy somehow, some way with the good gifts that God has already given you, perhaps some of the poison could leak out of your system and you might feel a little better. And so, look, here's what I'm saying. When God says don't covet, he's not trying to ruin your day. He's trying to give you a gift. He's trying to say, why are you drinking the poison? Why are you looking around at everyone and everything everyone else has and wanting and not acknowledging the gifts I've given you? You're poisoning yourself. So God is saying by commandment number 10, don't drink the poison. Stop! You're killing yourself. And isn't it hard? Isn't it hard to do? Filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, and then this word malice. Now, malice means depravity, ill will, and trouble. Malice, you have ill will towards people. You actually want to see it go bad for someone else which means you have something sick inside of you that would love to see harm come on another image bearer. Malice. You have ill will towards another human being. Friends, it's not good to rejoice even when your enemies fall, the Proverbs say. Because even though the wicked are wicked, they are image bearers broken image bearers of God. And when we rejoice at the downfall of others, we, we look more like Satan than God. And I, I know that's hard. When enemies fall, we want to rejoice and celebrate, but at the same time, that's what Satan does. The church, the people of God are the enemies, and when we fall, when we sin against each other, he celebrates Next is a four-word set I'm going to bring out. And it looks like malice. It's envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. Envy, which is coveting, really. Murder, you know what that is. Strife, it means trouble and dissension between people, fighting, deceit, lying, Maliciousness, this means malice or mean-spiritedness. Maliciousness, you're a malicious person. 
You're mean-spirited. Now, interestingly, James in his book covers all these in one little section. Look at this. In James 4, 1 to 3, he gives us insight into why there's so much fighting and quarreling in our culture, perhaps in our own home, perhaps in our workplace. Why is there so much fighting? What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this? What is it? Your passions are at war within you. Now, here's what's so interesting about that. Before we go further, you know what that word passion is in the Greek? It is hedone. That sounds like an English word that you know. Hedone. Hedon. Which we get hedonism from. Do you know what hedonism is? It is a person who believes that the pursuit of pleasure is the most important thing in life. A hedonist. What James here is saying is that it's your seeking pleasure at all costness that causes fights and quarrels among you. In other words, it's extreme self-centeredness that wants what you want at the cost of anything and anyone else. Hedone. It's, it's hedone at war within you. Your passions your over-desires. And then he says, you desire and you don't have. I want, but I can't have it. So, you murder. You covet. You want something someone else has. And you can't obtain. So you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you don't ask. That's one of our favorite verses. We say it all the time here. You have not because... You ask not. Well, the ESV says it like this. You do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and don't receive. Why? Because you ask wrongly to spend it on your self-centered pleasures. God's not going to indulge your sin. That would be messed up of God, wouldn't it? How could God be righteous, holy, just, and good and then give you sin? He can't. And so we need to change the hedone, the self-centered, gratifying lusts within us. They need to change. And friends, they can only change by the power of the Holy Spirit. And they can change by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so James here opens up for us what Paul said in this list here. Remember, the words were envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. Now, let's move on to gossips, slanders, verse 30, haters of God, insolent. Now that word insolent, we don't use that much. Here's what it means. Violent. Violent. It means lack of respect. It means rude. Violent, lacking respect, and rude. Did you know that rudeness is a characteristic of anti-love? Because in 1 Corinthians 13, it says love is not rude. And the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. So you break the second greatest commandment every time you're rude towards someone else. Have you ever thought about it that way? Anti-love, being rude. And so that's what that word insolent means. It means violent, lacking respect, and rude. How about haughty and boastful? Sins of the tongue haughty. It's pride. It's arrogance. It's you see yourself as high and mighty and everyone else is below you. You're haughty. My mother used to always quote to me, 
Proverbs, haughtiness before a fall, haughtiness before a fall, haughtiness before, boastful. It means you, you speak of how great you are and all that you accomplished and all that you have and you boast, boast, talk yourself up. Sins of the tongue. Now, interestingly, James talks about sins of the tongue too. And so James in 3, 8 to 12 says this, but no human being can tame the tongue. And this follows, you know, we can tame all kinds of, of wild animals. And, and there's this tiny wheel that controls this giant ship. But yet we human beings cannot tame the tongue. It's a restless evil. Now think of that. The organ in your mouth, the one I'm using right now, think of it as this restless. You know, I think of restlessness as you're just kind of anxious and panicky and you can't sit still. It's restless. It can't rest. But what is it? It's a restless evil. What? full of deadly poison. So it's pictured as a restless, venomous snake. Your tongue, my tongue. With it, with the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father. Now, if you're blessing the Lord and Father, that means you're worshiping. That means you're a Christian. Christian, you're in this text. And with it, we curse people made in the likeness of God or made in God's image. Friends, do you realize when you curse anyone, you are cursing an image bearer of God and he takes note. And now he goes on and he says, from the same mouth come blessing, blessing God, and cursing image bearers. Remember, who do they bear the image of? God. So in an indirect way, you're cursing God when you curse his image. How can you bless God, but then curse his image is what he's, what he's saying here. My brothers, and that little C there is, is the, the word's neutral. It could be sisters as well, mankind. My brothers, these things ought not be so. James is like, no, no, no. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Of course not. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Of course not. Or a grapevine produce figs? Of course not. Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. He's pointing out metaphor after metaphor after metaphor how inconsistent we are. We bless God and then we curse his image. No human being can tame the tongue. Yet maybe, perhaps, you would maybe just start feeling a little bit of guilt after you curse another image bearer and think to yourself, that should not be so. I should not have done that. God, keep me from cursing those who bear your image that I might bless you and bless your image bearers, no matter how much I disdain them. And so, remember, what, what words were we opening up there? Gossips, slanderers, using the tongue, haughty, boastful. And it's not good. And lastly, and we're, we're, we're going to end this message a little bit short, I hope. We'll see how it goes. Inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, all the mothers say, yeah, I'm glad that one's in the list, right? Yes. Disobedient to begin. It's one of the 10, right? Honor your father and mother, and yet disobedient to parents. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Now, I want to 
pause for a second on inventors of evil, just for a second. We, being made in God's image, are small c creators. We are, if you will, imaginative, and what you can imagine, you can manifest. That's what God did when he created. He imagined the world. He imagined uh, gravity. He imagined physics. He imagined uh, the, the solar system. He imagined black holes. He imagined um, the cells in your body. He imagined all of it, and then he spoke it into being out of nothing. And we, in a smaller way, can imagine something that is not and then create it out of what God has made. But in this, that would be positive. Okay? Creating something either to reflect God in his creativity or to create something to bless someone else. But in this text, we use that creative gift to create evil. How many fantastic filmmakers and very expensive camera equipment is used to make pornography, which is an exploding industry. I mean, every second new movies are produced. Inventors of evil. We, we use our God-given creative ability and we use it to invent new evils, new ways of doing harm to other people. And it doesn't matter if it's consenting adults. If God says it's wrong, it's wrong. And friends, allowed to go, remember the first verse 28, God gave them over to a debased mind. If there's no restraint, the progress continues into worse and worse and worse. That's the way the passive wrath of God works. Inventors of evil. Now, it's interesting that disobedient to parents is used in this list. It is one of the ten, as I said, honor your father and mother. Friends, fathers and mothers, listen to me. Spiritual fathers and mothers, listen to me. It is our responsibility to keep our kids. I wasn't joking earlier when I said, moms, we need to raise kids so that they don't look like this list. If we do not disciple well our children... Teach them the commands of God. Teach them to love God, to worship and serve Him and not created things. They will end up in this list. And when they are disobedient to you, their sin nature is manifesting. It's bearing fruit. Because out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I can't tell you how many times a day I have to say to my child or children, plural, no. And then you know what I get sometimes back? A kick. A punch, it doesn't hurt, they're little. Absolutely not. Not letting that slide. Oh, that's cute. Get, get out of here. No. No. In fact, well, I'll just blow my son up, okay? Blow him up. I'm sorry, buddy. He stabbed me today with a fork. Now, it was a cute froggy fork, but it was a fork. Now, imagine him at 35 210 pounds with that same froggy fork. Looking like Michael B. Jordan killing a bunch of people. Killmonger, right? It's not good. So what I said to him was absolutely not. I ripped that froggy fork out of it and slapped his butt. No! You don't stab people or pets because he's, he's about that too. Coming after the dog with the froggy fork. Or worse, the spoon. I mean, that would hurt even worse. Okay? The point is, friends, we need to correct that. It's not cute. Even though it's a froggy fork, it's still not cute. 
that allowed to grow and continue will bear murderous fruit in the future. He's mad at me because he's not getting his way, and I'm going to inflict harm on you with this fork. That unchecked will grow and get bigger, and we see it all over the news all the time. Parents, you must teach your children the ways of God and the Word of God. Now listen, my, my son's not even three, okay? So he is in the stage where we need to disciple him these things. This is the design of parents. Parents, if you don't parent, how will they ever know it's not okay to stab the dog with a fork? Yes, it's his evil nature coming out. You need to curb it and correct it and let them know that's not loving, you shall not murder. It's not loving. You say, many people have survived fork stabbings. Might not have been trying to murder you, just hurt you. Friends, listen, you have to correct them when they're small or they will grow. And so will the sin nature. Okay, this is the role of mothering. This is why, man, man moms, I, you have it worse than stay-at-home uh, or if you're a stay-at-home mom, you have it worse than dad that goes out to work. 100%. Because I'll spend a day or two with my kids, and I'm pulling out what little hair I have. Right? I'm like, this is crazy, driving me nuts. Right? I want to take a kid and, and just toss them. Meanwhile, moms do it all day, every day. And I'll gladly go out and deal with rude people and, and frustrating work and problems. Just don't leave me home with the kids, please. please. It's a joke. It's a joke. I love my kids. I really do. I'm, I'm totally playing. Totally playing. We have to have some comic relief in this huge vice list here, okay? The point is, friends, we need to teach our children well. Okay? Paul Tripp said this, and I, and I hear it in my head all the time. He said it once. I never forgot it. He said, parents get mad when they have to parent. And I hear it all the time because I'm in the middle of parenting and it's like, didn't I just tell you this a minute ago? And Paul Tripp's like, parents get mad when they have to parent. And I'm like, thanks, Paul. Should have never listened to you speak on parenting, jerk. <laughs> you know? and, his, and his voice, just ring, that mustache and those glasses just rings in my head, whispering in my ear. Parents get mad when they have to parent, Chris. Little Paul Tripp on my shoulder, whispering in the ear. If you've never seen Paul Tripp, you at least have to Google and see what this dude looks like and imagine him on my shoulder with his little hipster skinny jeans and converse. All right, so the idea here is disobedient to parents and then we become foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. I mean, it's just a spiral down. And then the last verse, 32. Though they know God's righteous decree. This was last week. Although they knew God, they neither glorified God nor gave him thanks. Now, how, how do people who've never heard or have had the word of God shown to them, how do they know God's righteous decree? How would you answer that? Think with me for five seconds, and then I'll give you the answer. How would people who've never had the revealed will of God revealed to them, how would they know God's righteous decree? 
We're going to get more into this in chapter 2, but it's their conscience. Their conscience is a God-given right and wrong detector. And you know when you, know when you see it best? You see it best when someone wrongs them and they get upset by it. How dare you? Meaning they understand this is wrong because it's being done to me. But then they go and do the same thing to other people. And there's some complex justification for why it was all right. But yet when it's done to you, oh man, I'm upset. Why? Because you know it's wrong. Okay, so although they knew God's righteous decree, more on that in chapter two, just wait for it. Although they knew God's righteous decree, that those who practice such things deserve to die. Remember, Romans 6, 23. What is it? That's right. The wages or the payments, the paycheck of sin is death. The conscience plagues you with guilt, and you know that this is wrong, and you feel the sentence, if you will, on you, and yet you suppress it. And you push it away, as Eddie said, the tennis ball underneath the water, and it longs to come up. They not only do them, but give approval of those who practice them. Now, this is the idea that misery loves company. That's one way to say it. But it's another way to say the company you keep often will reflect the way you want to live. In other words, if you're let's say a heavy drinker, you're probably going to surround yourself with heavy drinkers because you don't feel bad. Look at everyone else. They're doing it too. What you're not going to do is go around people who are the opposite and who are going to challenge you on your sin. And so what's so much easier to do is surround yourself with people just like you so you feel like you're not that bad. I'm not that bad. Yeah, I don't read my Bible. Yeah, I don't pray. I mean, yeah, I don't fellowship, but neither do any of my other friends. Friends, that's not okay. Surround yourself with people that are far ahead of you, that they might pull you along. You should not be the most mature people in, person in your group of friends. You should not be. Don't surround yourself with people who are, if you will, less mature than you so that you're always the one. That's not good. Surround yourself either personally or with books or teachings of people that are far ahead of you that you might be pulled along. But see, not only do they do it themselves, but they give approval. Now, this is the idea that we live in a world where there's so much media out there, social media and other, that you can confirm your beliefs with a community very easily. You can surround your social media pages with everyone that agrees with you. You can surround your article reading with everyone that agrees with you. You can surround your input, if you will, with everyone who confirms what you believe. That's what's happening here. It's like, yeah, 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 amen. Now, they wouldn't say amen. But the idea is, I agree. Let it be. Because I'm living the same way and I'm approving of those who live just like me. Now, friends, how do we escape? The only escape is through the Savior. We need a Savior. Friends, as I said earlier, Paul said to the Corinthians, and after a list just like this, such were some of you. Yet, he cleansed you. 
He washed you. And I want to end with this verse here. 1 John 1, 8 to 10. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. There are no righteous people. It's better for you to say, yes, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. So if we claim that we have no sin, that we are okay, that we are right, that we are righteous, we are deceived. And who is the deceiver? We are not only the deceived, but the deceiver. If we say we have no sin, we have deceived ourselves. Self-deception. And the truth is not in us. Anyone who can never admit they're wrong is not living in the truth, and there's not truth inside of them. It's people who could say, yeah, I'm wrong. Yeah, I'm wrong. Yes, I'm striving to be right, but yeah, I'm wrong. But the good news in verse 9, if we confess our sins first to God and then to others, if we confess our sins, God, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, not just forgive, but cleanse I love that. To wash you clean. To take away your shame. To take away your guilt. To wash, if you will, the moral filth off of you. And now you stand clean by the blood of Christ. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. That's a great line. And the idea here is that if we ask for forgiveness, we will not only be forgiven, but washed clean. We picture and imagine ourselves as cleansed from our sin and from all unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. In verse 10, if we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. What is so much better to do is say, I am a sinner in need of a savior. I want to escape this list of vices. I want to worship the true and living God and not worship created things. Oh God, help me. Forgive me. Wash me. Cleanse me. Free me from the sin that so easily entangles me. And the beautiful thing is, He will. He will. He will not deny your request. He will grant it. And so let's pray. And perhaps some of us need to do some asking for forgiveness. Be a beautiful way to respond to this message. By just taking a second, praying to God and saying, God, forgive me. What has he brought to mind during this message that you need to be cleansed of, washed of, forgiven of? Let's take a moment and pray. Father, we do not want to deny that we are sinners. We are sinners in need of a Savior. Father, if we claim we have no sin, we are deceived, and the truth is not in us. Oh God, but you've promised us that if we confess our sins, you are faithful, you are just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Oh God, help Be our help, be our strength, be our deliverer, be our power to do right, to love well others, even when they don't deserve it, as you have loved us well when we did not deserve it. May we reflect you, I pray.
Give us grace now as we sing and take communion. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Amen.